Good morning, it's Danger Dan here in the talk shop. It's almost 6 a.m. I'm fixing to get my shit together and go to Tup's Brewery. Help set up for Rat Rod-tober this weekend. That's happening in McKinney. Giving away motorcycles. I think you gotta buy the raffle tickets in person at the event now. Too late to do it online. Uh, next weekend is Born Free Texas at the Yellow Rose Canyon. And then not long off, not not long after that, I'll be packing up to go to Katmandu with motorcycle Sherpa and ride motorcycles around Nepal. Really stoked! And over the past couple months, I've had people email me asking me what they should pack for, what they should prepare for, what they should pack to prepare for. And uh, yesterday, I had Bear on, uh, who is one of the founders of Motorcycle Sherpa, and we talked about like how our packs have evolved over time and what you can prepare for in case you go to Nepal. And even if you're not going to Nepal, just adventure riding in general. I mean, even from riding on the choppers or, you know, whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, there's some good stuff in here. You might learn a thing or two, or maybe you've got something to learn me on. I'm interested. Email me, dan at dangerdanstalkshop.com. Let's get into this podcast. This show, like all shows, is brought to you by mcshoptees.com, your t-shirt of the month club, the only way to support every local motorcycle shop. That's right. Each month we mail a brand new custom one-off t-shirt to your door. Well, maybe it's not one-off, but it's a one-time print uh, only available to MC Shop Tees subscribers. We got men's sizes, women's sizes, and kid sizes. And each t-shirt comes with a postcard that tells you about the shops, where they're located, and what they specialize in. It's a pretty sick program. Holidays are coming up. You can buy it as a gift as well and send it to a loved one. You know, maybe your pops or your uncle or your boy is wearing a bunch of retarded shit. Or maybe all his clothes are just fucked up, you know, and maybe he can turn those into oil rags in his shop and then he can get new t-shirts every month, you know? That way he's less embarrassing to hang out with. It's a real thing. Um, mcshoptees.com. What do we got? This this month, oh, this month is Lead Sled Customs out of Dayton, Ohio. Fucking super rad to be supporting these guys, featuring these guys. And just knowing them and hanging out with them over the years has been a blessing. So I hope that you're supporting those guys. <clears throat> they, um, man, they're fucking rad. And they ride everything from choppers to dirt bikes. And you know I love that. Uh, next month's featured shop, I just dropped the bomb on the gram recently. I think it's going to be competition distributing. But I got another guy in the running, too. So we're not, I'm really not 100% sure. So... Too, but you got to sign up regardless. If you want to get next month's t-shirt, you got to be signed up before the end of the year. And, uh, you know, that's that. If you want to support the show, but you have plenty of t-shirts, go to DangerDansTalkShop.com. Uh, there's a Patreon support link. Go there and every and donate five bucks. Five bucks to keep this show on the road. It's a simple thing. Puts gas in my tank. Keeps me maintaining these bikes. Uh, 
helps me bring in a lot of guests, which, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, over the past couple of years, my, my podcast turned away from its roots, which was really just like meeting new people, telling their story, learning about them, uh, how they got to where they're at and what they do. Essentially, the podcast started out as a way to talk to people who figured out how to live outside the eight to five job construct. Over time, it grew into a motorcycle podcast because I fucking love motorcycles. In the past couple years, it's grown into almost like a personal diary after that trip to South America. Uh, This next year, I'm going to get back to my roots and start talking to people, traveling around, probably do less shows and more talking. Riding and talking. Riding motorcycles and talking to people. But you can support that by going to DangerDanceTalkShop.com, donating five bucks a month through the Patreon support link. Um, you know, and I've got people on my team like Lowbrow Customs, man. Lowbrow Customs has been a supporter for a few years now, and they help me, and they can help you as well. And they've got, dude, they got everything to keep your chopper on the road from tires, oil, chains, frames, front ends, wires, uh, lights, tins. They've got it all and they ship really fast and they're super rad dudes and they love motorcycles. So it's rad to have them on board. Uh, Each month I get to give away a hundred dollar gift card to one lucky Patreon supporter, which is super fucking rad. Speaking of giving shit away, at the end of the year, every person that donates five bucks a month for every $5 they've donated throughout the year, they are going to be entered into a big drawing where I give away an expedition thanks to Motorcycle Sherpa. That's right, Bear Hotton, who is on the show today, owner of Bike Barn and Motorcycle Sherpa, is, has gifted me a, an expedition to give away, and it's fucking super rad. We did it a few years ago. The winner was stoked, man. He had a fucking great time. I had a great time hanging out with him on the trip. So pretty fucking rad. And I hope that all of you will get a chance to go on a crazy expedition like that. And I can't wait to give this trip away at the end of the year. So go to DangerDanceTalkShop.com for more details. Um, <clears throat> this weekend, Rat Rotober, McKinney, Texas, raffling off a motorcycle. Actually, there's two motorcycles to pick from, either a Sportster Chopper or a fucking shovel head chopper. Pretty fucking awesome, right? Uh, and there's gonna be a bunch of rat rods. This event is really fucking cool. Tup's Brewery is a badass spot. Jake and Natalia that put this event on are two of my favorite people on the planet. And I'm stoked to be able to help them out and uh, support what they do. So I hope to see you in McKinney. Next weekend is Born Free Texas at Yellow Rose Canyon. And it's going to be a fucking big one. Uh, This year, me and Lee Bullock uh, are going to be putting on an art show called Prints, Paints, and Steel. And we've got some amazing artists. We've got photographers, metal sculptors, and painters. You know, I just put a link on my website at DangerDanceTalkShop.com that says Prints, Paints, and Steel. And it's got a picture and website and name of all the contributing artists. Super fucking rad. Wes Conley did a badass wood cutout for me that's going to be hanging up above the door. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to suspend it. I hit him up yesterday. I'm like, you know, how much does this sign weigh, dude? What do I need to hold it up? Uh, He was on the road. He sent me a hilarious selfie riding his motorcycle. He's headed west to the run to Terlingua 
Man, that's going to be a good one. Terlingo is one of my favorite places in Texas, and I know all you guys are going to have an amazing time out there. So enjoy it. Wes, let me know how much the sign weighs so I can build a stand for it. <clears throat> Born Free Texas. Bunch of custom bikes. The band's playing, the outbound train, the Ives Brothers are going to be there. Tons of custom motorcycles racing. They're bringing meatball out from California to put on the races this year. Sean Palmer drove circles all last week prepping the track. It's going to be a fun one, so I hope to see you there. Um, yeah, man, that's like pretty much wraps it up for the year if you're not going to Nepal with me. I imagine that there's... No, I don't, I don't know of anything else going on. After Nepal, I'm pretty much, you know, sewed up at the house, Thanksgiving, hopefully shoot a couple of deer, stack some meat in the freezer, and then, uh, you know, it's crazy how close we are to the end of the year already. Oh, my gosh, it's almost Halloween. My kids are hilarious with this shit. They got their aunt buying them all sorts of goofy fucking costumes. It's good stuff. It really is. The weather's amazing. And I hope you're out riding your motorcycle. I uh, I haven't... I guess I rode the, the Pan America this week. Oh, fucking J.P. Rodman painted the tins on my black Pan America. And they are fucking so sick. And that is at High Country Harley Davidson. Up there north of Denver outside of Boulder. It's, uh, dude, they're fucking rad. And I'm doing everything in my power. Fuck, JP's doing even more so that we can get that bike down here for Born Free Texas. I'd love to have both the Pan Americas just parked nose to nose. Flames on one side. Actually, there's flames on both of them. They're fucking sick. They're so sick. JP, you fucking killed it. I cannot wait to see that thing in person, so... Come check them out at Born Free Texas. Uh, but let's get into this podcast. Uh, Bear, he's a founder of Motorcycle Sherpa. He's been riding motorcycles. He's been in the industry for a long time. Uh, and this is like, you know, his passion project, you know, just sharing this amazing experience that he went through. And he tells us about on this podcast when he first traveled to Nepal at a very crucial time in his life and was able to, you know, use that to break a barrier and really set off on a new path and it's a beautiful story and it's a beautiful thing that he's doing and I know there's a ton of work that goes into his side and keeping this you know this program alive and now recently you know his one of his biggest goals is making sure that you know a trip like this is affordable to anybody um it's you know it's pretty wild to get to go ride the Himalayas go to Kathmandu and he's got the price where it is, it's really affordable. And I mean, it's less than five grand. It's been two weeks on a motorcycle. That covers the food, the lodging, a chase truck with fucking extra bikes and parts, you know, tour guy, like, you know, local guys at the front and the back of the pack dealing with all the, the weird shit that might happen on the road or with the locals and it's really an amazing program, and I, I really get to, you know, reap the benefits by just showing up and riding, you know. This this trip, I'm going to, you know, hopefully spread my wings a little bit and be more part of the leadership, and uh, hopefully that grows into a position where, you know, I'm like full-on taking people to Nepal thanks to Motorcycle Sherpa. Uh, 
but I know it's not possible without all the work that they do over there to, to get everybody ready for these trips. So I do appreciate that bear motorcycle Sherpa booty. I hope to see you while I'm there and Krishid and the whole team. If you're going to be on this trip in November, man, you should be fucking stoked because I am. Anyhow, let's get into this podcast, yeah, Bear Hot. Yeah, no, we're we're fucking live now. But I think this is this is a since people have some, have sent in some emails and asked like, how do we prepare for the trip? And you know, I know you've been doing it a long time. I've done it a few times, and it's uh, it's obvious. I've I've changed just in the the couple of times I've went, and then I started thinking about like you traveled well before you went across the country or across the world and started traveling in Nepal. And I, I just know that it's interesting. I mean, part of, like, going on trips is preparing for them. And one thing that, like, like the trip I just did to South America, like, I didn't really plan on doing it, so it just kind of happened. But as I met people that were doing that, it reminded me, like, how much time people spend preparing. And, you know, it's like that's a lot of – there's more time spent preparing for trips It's uh, than there is actually being on the trips. And it's one thing that I kind of – don't think about anymore because I just have my shit to, you know, I have like a plan or I just kind of, I, I just don't give it as much thought as other people. So, and I know things man, have progressed I, with you as well. Man, I, I want to say kind of I'm the same in terms of like, this is a way of life. And I don't say that with some hoity toity, holier than thou attitude. It's just once you embrace the tenets of what you know, especially international travel can do to broaden your horizons. Like it, it gets a lot of the anxiety seems to go away. And like one of the things I love about what we do is, you know, we take a lot of virgins over there, man, like people that have, you know, never left the, a tri-state area or maybe never left been anywhere but Mexico or something. And to get them to just go see the complete opposite end of it and all the anxiety and the questions and the fears and all the things they have that are just you know subsided by the by the middle of the trip and and it's it's amazing to me the same individual that sent me 10 emails and you know was really nervous and concerned about security and should they bring a knife and weapon like all kinds of stuff and then they go over there and and, and they see that you know they're the gentlest kindest people i mean you know one of my favorite anecdotes is one of my first times over there uh, I was solo and like riding around, scouting some things out. And I got brought, uh, I stopped at a little kind of mountainside hotel that had little cabins on the, on the side of the hill. And uh, the guy brings me to my room and he unlocks a fucking padlock from the, from the door on the outside of the door and like kind of, you know, unlocks his padlock, slides this big bolted latch over and, you know, says after you basically. And I'm like, fuck no i'm not going in there and he's like what's wrong i'm like hello the door and he proceeds to start like looking at he starts operating the latch and like seeing if the hinges creak and he's like trying to understand what my issue with the door is and i'm like bro that shit locks from the outside like i'm not i'm not going on the other <laughs> side of that door and he still doesn't get it, right? So he's very broken. He says, let me get my manager. So he goes and gets the manager. The manager hikes up the little hill and the steps and gets to the door. He says, so what's, what's the problem here? And I said, the door? Like, I need a different room. I'm not going in no room that I can be locked in from the outside. And he just proceeds. He understands good enough English. And he starts laughing. And he says, 
sir, we are Buddhists. This couldn't happen here. No violence. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I mean, I believe violence and crime can happen anywhere in the world, but just the sheer difference in attitude towards your fellow man and like the concept, this idea that to me is very normal to be uh, afraid of an act of violence at the time to him was a completely foreign concept. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I like to tell people about is like all the shit that we're told to be afraid of by the media. And I don't want to get too political, but like we're taught to be afraid in the West and there's often little reason for it. And you don't have to dig very deep to find statistics that say that. So like on average, on a yearly basis, since I think, you know, state department stats, I think it's like 2016 or 2014, um, Three to four hundred Americans die in violent crime internationally. Meanwhile, like twenty six thousand people are killed in the U.S. in violent crime. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I was so, going to say it's not only just from what they've heard. It's a, a lot of times it's from experience. You know, experiencing something over here and just assuming that it's got to be worse elsewhere. Yeah, it's really not. I mean, that's the crazy part. Is like statistically speaking, you're much more likely to have trouble in your own neighborhood or your own city. Um, or your own state than than these sort of international travel destinations. Now, obviously, there are parts of the world that are not friendly to, to Westerners and Western values, uh, but Nepal, India is not one of them. You know, I mean, they're definitely, you know, very welcoming. I mean, I, I'm sure you can speak from your own experience, just that the people are part of the whole thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, people, Americans started going over there 50 years ago in the 60s, you know, if not before then. But, I mean, I know there was a big rush in the 60s. And they were also getting, like, some of the nicest American hippie dudes that were coming up, like Michael Lichter, you know, backpacking, <laughs> you know, down the trail. Like, that that was their experience with Americans. So they are even, you know, I think that they've just over time assumed that, you know, that they get the nicest people over there. So. Yeah, the whole counterculture and, and revolution, um, you know, with checking out sort of Eastern culture in the, in the 60s and 70s was is, is pretty cool. And Kathmandu is kind of renowned for that, um, you know, the uh, sort of the Electric Avenue uh, area that we where all the bazaars and stuff are that we've been through a few times. Like, you know, that was kind of a, you know, the Beatles went there. I think Janis Joplin went there. I mean, the list goes on of like iconic figures that that really you know, checked out what was going on with Buddhism and Hinduism in, in Nepal. So um, it, that, that's a neat touch point for, for us being, you know, I really am enamored by 60s and 70s culture. And I think we had a lot more going on. Youth was so much more empowered. Like there were a lot more young people in America at the time. And like just that energy, I think there's still something uh, to be said for that. And we can still experience some of it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not as untouched as it was when Michael went, but um, it sure was fascinating for me to bring him on that first trip together where like he had been through all the same towns like 30, 40 years prior. And it was just like this, he's like my big brother, like we're exa almost exactly 20 years apart, but like to have that shared experience and know that he had been there before and have his perspective on it. That was definitely a, 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 a real treat. And he, man, he's been so supportive of everything I've done with this. And I think, you know, is really part of it in, this, in the same way that, that all the personalities are, you know, yourself as well. Like it's a living organism, almost what we do in terms of, of motorcycle Sherpa and the, the catharsis and the, the opportunity to change someone's mind 
like I know it sounds so fucking lofty sometimes, but like almost every person is like, will get with me a few months later or even sometimes well on the trip and are like, man, this shit was life changing. Yeah. We just, no, it's, we just took a guy with leukemia, dying of leukemia through four of the highest passes in the world. I mean, like it doesn't get better than that in terms of use of, of your time on this planet. Like the fact that I got to help that guy do that um, while he's fighting leukemia. I mean, it, it really just doesn't get better, but yeah, I'm sure his, his packing, his packing, packing, right? So yeah, what, his what packing list was a little, and travel? his packing <laughs> list was a little different than what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I went in his room one night and he had a half the bed was covered in pill bottles. And I was like, what in the fuck? And he's like, Oh yeah, a bunch of radiation pills. I'm like, Holy shit. That is fucking wild. Well, good on that dude to just get out there and seize the moment. But, uh, yeah, no. It, and it's a, that's what I'd like to start off with is like, what was, do you remember your first big trip and like how, how much shit you packed on your motorcycle? Man, that's a tough, that's a tough one to answer for me because, um, I was actually homeless and living on my motorcycle in, in 2008 and nine. So like, I mean, everything I owned was packed on my bike. Um, <laughs> and you didn't have a place to leave anything behind to get later at that point, I guess. Yeah, and you know, just different vibes. But that's what's interesting, you know, the the, the evolvement of of where things are gotten to. And there are a few really big changes that I think are important to note. Like, so one of them for me, I used to, you know, and I still am into, you know, nice, fashionable, um, you know, high quality clothing. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, I like heritage boots and boots and 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 wax canvas and good denim and all that stuff. Um, and I used to kind of exclusively wear that and, and, and rough it a little bit, you know, and, uh, over time I've, I've really have modernized, you know, it's, I finally have like a thousand dollar, you know, Gore-Tex Danese, you know, ultra adventure suit that honestly, even five years ago, I thought people looked like clowns in those things, but having, you know, done it for a living and the, the, the comfort that, that, that protection and high quality gear bring are, are definitely something that I've changed my tune on because I used to be like super minimalist. And, you know, I think the only place that I haven't gone changed a little bit about how I think about gear is probably footwear. I still prefer to wear hiking boots or, or even like red wings or something like that. Um, than motorcycle boots. They're just, they're just built different. And, I know they offer less protection, but it's what I'm comfortable in. And, you know, I'd much rather be in a hiking boot than a motorcycle boot. And I've seen inferior quality, you know, Chinese motorcycle boots fall apart time and time again. But that tends to not happen with uh, some quality hiking boots because they're designed for that wear and tear. Um, you know, motorcycle boots should be also, but it just seems to be not the case sometimes with the, um, the materials. I mean, we've had guys literally have their pegs eat through the soles of their like motocross boots made in China. So uh, I got a lot to say about the quality of, of uh, motorcycle footwear, I guess. I mean, footwear has always been not, and not just foot, footwear as in boots, but socks. I mean, that's like one of, you know, when I was trying to trim down my pack, I never trimmed down on the socks. You know, if anything, I went from taking used socks and throwing them away to buying just, you know, a package of new socks and taking them with me. To where now, like, I only take a couple of pairs of socks, but I got merino wool 
you know, darn tough that are guaranteed for life. Uh, and as long as your dog doesn't chew them up or you don't lose them, you can send them in and get a new pair if you wear a hole in them. And because they clean easy. Like, I can take a shower in my socks, wash them while I'm washing myself, and then hang those fuckers up to dry or off the back of the bike and, you know, blow dry them down the road. But the f- the footwear is big. And I'm the same way. I've Well, I say that. Recently, I have been wearing, I went from a Justin boot that that's just all I wore for everything. Now I've been wearing more, uh, what is it? It's an icon boot. It's still a leather slip-on cowboy boot, that not a cowboy boot that zips up, but it's leather. Uh, it's got one of those non-slip soles. And, you know, just for a little bit more protection, especially since I've been riding that Pan Am. It's a heavy bike. And if you try and put your foot down to hold it up, it's a lot of weight. And... uh so I have, I have in, in on my motor, like on my dirt bike, I do, I wear a full motocross boot. It's like mandatory. Um, but over there in Nepal, I think I've worn, I wore some red wings the first year. And then last year, I believe I just wore my, no, I wore the icon boots is what I wore last year. And the, no, they're good. They're quality stuff. I've, I've, but I have seen a bunch of guys come on our trips and they buy actual motorcycle gear, but it's stuff that just looks like motorcycle gear, you know, uh, second or third tier brands and the the quality of the construction and the materials they use, they look the part, but they don't do the job. And that's where I think, you know, uh, like a heritage boot, like Thorgood or Red Wing um, or, you know, some higher end, like a couple hundred, $300 uh, hiking boots are well worth the money. Yeah, I think a couple of things that I want to add to that, especially about footwear, is you're going to get wet feet. Like, yeah. just you know, get used to it and bring some Gore-Tex socks. And um, you know, you may find yourself putting your feet in you know some pretty cold, wet boots in the morning. But you know, for me, that's all part of it, right? In terms of, I don't think in our modern society that the average human is tested very often um, for what our bodies are built for and what we're capable of. Staying warm in cold environments. Or, you know, enduring, you know, hours and hours of, of intense physical activity. You know, I, I just think that we're so complacent and so sheltered. And one of the biggest things that I see people happen to people on these trips is, man, they're a little freaked out with how hard and how much work this vacation is all of a sudden. <laughs> and then yeah. about three days in, they really, they kind of fall into it and they start to get it. And they're like, man, I, I feel good. Like, I feel different. And it's because they're being challenged, you know, both emotionally, mentally, physically. And that is such an important part of it. But I do want to, while we're talking about specific gear. So I'm a minimalist and it's taken me years, even though I've surged at times to bring too much stuff. I really think that people tend to overpack. Oh, absolutely. uh, Absolutely. I I like to bring, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. It's overpacking is like, you know, that's the easiest thing to do. It's the So I've got a couple of key points that I think, you know, if we're going to get to where we're trying to give people some takeaways. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, part of what we want to do together here on this is, um, so I have a couple of bullet points that I kind of scribbled down, things that I thought were things that other people forget that I think are important. Um, water shoes. Um, so I like to bring with me, you know, some kind of a, a, a wet shoe, basically, you know, they're, that if you're going to be walking on some, uh, rocks in the ocean or something. Um, you know, there's a few opportunities where we have to take a dip in a sacred pool or whatnot, and they're not always safe places for your feet. Uh, but there's also opportunities you don't want to miss. So 
whether it's flip-flops or proper water shoes, um, I like kind of like an elastic pull string, tiny water shoe deal. Um, I think those can be really a, a treat to have in the right circumstance. Um, another one that people don't consider is there's all these hiking pants um, that are made of like nylon and, and recycled plastic bottles and who knows what. <laughs> yeah. um, these synthetic materials suck and they melt on your motorcycle exhaust pipes or engine. Um, so, you know, you got to be make sure that you're buying, you know, quality stuff that, you know, is not essentially material that's made that is plastic that's made to look like fabric. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that shit on the market. So, um, you know, good canvas, good denim, wax canvas, um, or stuff with cotton content, you know, definitely, um, not nylon. And we have guys who milk their pants all the time because they, they buy these trendy, cool looking, breathable hiking pants that are not designed for what we do so um well and back to the, back to the here. back to the shoe thing real quick uh you know i always do that just more or less just taking getting in showers in places that oh, i've always just like wanted to have my feet you know like wear flip-flops in the shower like when you go to a campground you know that's always just something to have handy is a, a pair of shoes that can get wet yeah, absolutely. You don't know what kind of foot fungus or whatnot you're going to get. And that's another one. Uh, medicated foot powder is something I always carry, um, you know, especially, you know, I do a lot of this stuff. I think my feet are kind of broken in, but uh, people that haven't had, you know, wet feet, wet, wet, sweaty feet or, or, or sopping wet feet um, for, for a full day, like their body and skin tends to react a little different. We, you know, having, um, some uh, some good foot powder handy is is definitely worthwhile. Um, like, another one that is 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 often overlooked is sometimes we don't have electricity where we're going. Um, there's usually a generator, um, you know, and on, on the Nepal trips especially, it's mostly you know fairly curated stays. I mean, you've you've seen some of them. Some of them are actually kind of uh, quaint and cute, or even high end. Uh, but we're almost always indoors. But there may or may not be electricity, and I think that a headlamp. Um, can really uh, help out with that. Um, so you're not, you know, holding the flashlight or using a lighter. Um, and then um, I'm just trying to brainstorm here on a few other things that I think are super important. Yeah, the headlamp yeah. thing, it's funny. Yeah, I always, I have like a little, a go bag for like my electronics and I have, you know, the charging stuff in there, a couple adapters, a headlamps in there. I even carry like a, I have some battery packs just for like the phone in case, I don't get it plugged in or it goes dead during the day. But right now my phone is not accepting a charge unless it's magnetic. So I don't have an extra battery pack for that. But having like a little, you know, a bag with the electronics in it, dude, that's kind of waterproof or completely waterproof, I guess it would be better. But, yeah, flashlight's always handy. I mean, I feel like that's just something that's handy all the time now. I used to make fun of my dad because he's a huge flashlight collector. And now I've got flashlights everywhere. Yeah, and I think the headlamp style is 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 super helpful too. You get both hands freed up and you know take care of business. Um, bungee nets, um, another one. Like, I mean, I think people don't get how we they see those white cap mountains and everybody shows up with a skidoo suit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Eighty degrees in Kathmandu in November and. You know, I think that, you know, people don't realize that their seasons are fairly different than ours. Like winter only really starts late December. Um, November is beautiful fall weather. I mean, currently today in Kathmandu, it's 68 degrees. Um, Tomorrow is going to be 79. 
Friday 77, like, I mean, you've been there with me in, in November and I'm sure you were surprised at the temperature. Like people think November and Himalayas and, you know, they're really showing up to go to the Arctic. Oh and yeah. I showed up in leather pants the first year. I wore them the whole time and it wasn't terrible. <coughs> uh, but yeah, I thought it was going to be fucking chilly, you know, at the minimum chilly, if not cold the whole time. And, you know, really it's almost subtropical um, for a good portion of the trip. And, you know, people end up in, in, in a little more than a, a flannel, a helmet and gloves with some, some riding pants or, or whatnot. Um, and I think that that's having a bungee net, is is super helpful for that um in terms of if you want to take your coat off you can bungee it to the back of the bike and then i think that's another one that's important to mention about motorcycle stripper trips is that um you know we really put a lot of effort into curating how these things work and you don't carry any gear on the bike other than what you need for your for the day so maybe a tank bag or a small knapsack um but you know I try to take out all the things that I've seen cause problems um, in group settings. And, you know, it's, it's of course going to be day three or five. And I, I give the speech that like, you know, today's the day that Paul wants to punch John in the face. So everybody remember to be a little extra nicer to your riding partners. And sure enough, that evening, someone comes over and says, man, I'm really glad you said that this morning. You know, you're right. I'm wet. I'm cold. I'm tired. And um, I was a little afraid and I was, I was getting angry at people. I'm like, you know, it's like we really try to build that team spirit and group dynamic. And one of the ways that is that we do that is by having the chase truck carry all the gear so that, you know, every morning you drop off your bags, they get thrown on the roof or in the back of the chase truck. And every evening they're returned to you. And that way we're not waiting for that one guy that doesn't know how to pack a motorcycle or is <laughs> super OCD and it's like, you know, 15 minutes late for every every kickstands up and pissing the whole group off. I've really tried to get ahead of all of the the group dynamic things that can cause problems. And uh, I think that not packing the gear on the bikes, there's a bunch of reasons. Another one is um, my guys don't like having to pick up a trail of, of people's gear down the road. And that's what happens when we pack stuff on bikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that it, it goes a long way because there's there's all those little things and when you say them to somebody it they just seem like oh that's no big deal you're like i don't you know the food is going to be fine but when you when you couple the like the food that you're not used to to you know maybe being a little bit pushed in your motorcycle abilities throughout the day or multiple days in a row and there being like just nothing no like home comforts you know like everything all those small things that you take for granted and when they're not there they kind of add on each other and then but i also think that's one of the things that kind of like brings everybody together too is like the only common thing is the guys that are on the trip with us you know the guys girls whoever it is like having those familiar faces of people that do speak english and you can communicate whatever the day brought and uh, and hear other people is like one of the things that helps bring the groups together but all those little things that don't seem like that big of a deal when they're just constant every day no comforts i i think it does add up and it makes people a little bit volatile and irritable and uh you know it's kind of fun to see that i mean it's exciting when people are like getting pushed and they're like you could tell somebody's frustrated and doesn't doesn't exactly know why these little things are getting to them but it's because of all those little things that are just kind of like putting you into a new zone 
And, and, and let's qualify the no comforts because these are some pretty glampy fucking trips, bro. Well, I like, know, I, but I'm talking about like, like just the little, it's the little things that kind of like, you know, uh, that just kind of add up, you know? I think yeah, they but do. I, I think, I think when it comes to comforts, what I, what I, the biggest release and the, the relief and the fun part for me is like, people are working all hard all day, pumping through the dust and the dirt and the boulders and the riverbeds and like, and then, you know, they're, they're really paying their dues. You can see it on their faces. They're like, what did I sign up for here? Yeah. They feel incredibly challenged. And then we arrive at the place that I've picked out to stay and yeah. the fire already raging. There's, you know, 25 bottles of beer chilled on the table, ready to go. And it's the cutest, you know, mountain hideaway you've ever seen. And so the comfort is is not there most of the day, but that that euphoric when we get off the bikes at the last stop of the day, people are like, "Are you kidding me? That this is where we're sleeping tonight?" Yeah. Like, so I love that roller coaster ride of, like you said, you know, little comforts and definitely challenged, but we really try to build in those those euphoric moments and like, man, I have a I have a a hard time sometimes holding my tongue because you you know how I run some of this stuff like I'll often. <laughs> I'll not disclose like what kind of epic thing is around the next corner or what's in store this evening. And then, you know, they, they we sometimes get there. It's a, it's dusk and people wake up in the morning surrounded on four sides by white cap mountains that, you know, make them look, feel like they're the size of an ant. And it just kind of puts life in perspective real quick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, those moments are, yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of people, you know, get those surprises and you know sharing it with them uh yeah you know that's that's an interesting one um you know people ask me how do you how can you do the same trip over and over it's like none of them are the same there's a there's been a landslide four new roads are washed out we're taking an alternate route and you know the people are different every time and that's that's the magic is that watching those people go through it and you're starting to get there now this is our third trip together so you're 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 seeing it through that lens of like opening the eyes of someone that's never left America and is really out of their element and watching them go through that is like such a reward in itself. Like, and it's, it's, it amazes me how many people ask me that question, man, it must get dull doing the same trip over. And it's like, Nope, not one of them is the same. The people are different and <laughs> the road conditions are ever changing. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah, I tried to compare it to somebody recently. It's like watching a movie that you that you really enjoy, and then watching it with somebody who's never seen it before. You know, like you you get to enjoy those those moments again through somebody else, and this is like way better than a movie. You know, you're in it. You know, uh, it's pretty yeah. good. So, what about you know, like one one question I I've gotten twice recently is the sleeping bag. They're like, I need a sleeping bag, a thirty degree, and I'm like, well, it's not that we're, you're going to be sleeping outside on the ground. It's that some of these places don't have electricity, right? I mean, and that's the reasoning behind having that on the packing list, correct? It's yeah, just so having let's, an extra let's talk blanket. about that. I, I, bring, I bring a sleeping bag. I bring a light summer sleeping bag because there's beautiful, you know, bedding in almost every stop. I mean, we're talking four inches of blankets in some places. Yeah. Uh, but I bring a, a little, like, summer bag myself. Um, I almost never use it. But it does happen on occasion where, you know, I've gotten a chill and, you know, I feel like I could use it and I pop it out. Um, I, I think it's recommended on our packing list for a couple of reasons. One, you're not carrying your shit on the bike. So it's going to be in the chase truck in a duffel bag or a roll away anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it certainly doesn't hurt. And, you know, especially some people that live in warmer climates, you know, we, we've had a few guys, you know, from hail from Southern California that um, they, they find the, the temperatures on a couple of evenings a little more challenging. Um, but I don't even recommend heated riding gear or anything like that. I mean, it is really comfortable most of the time. There's uh, on the Nepal trip, there's that one day where we go up to the top of Muktanoff, like 14 and a half thousand feet or so. And, you know, it might be 38 degrees overnight. Uh, but generally, it, you know, I think, and you can vouch for this, that it's really comfortable, like fall riding weather most of the time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and like you said earlier, like just even if it is way colder than you would like, you can handle it, you know, and it's a good way to like appreciate the weather because it's never going to be that way all day. It may be cold when we take off in the morning, but then you'll really appreciate that sun once it crests over the Himalayas uh, and you start feeling the, the rays and, you know, it's just part of the experience, you know, it's like really, you know, getting a little piece of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really always come back to that idea that, Few of us in our comfortable modern lives are are physically, mentally, and emotionally challenged quite the way that a Himalayan ride can do for you. And I think that it's important that we have those experiences. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we're lucky, we're on this blue rock for, what, maybe 100 years with maybe 80 of them being useful. And, you know, I've started to think of things in terms of, you know, I'm in my 40s and, you know, I've got maybe another 40 good years and probably the next 20 of them are more useful than the back half of those 20. So what is it that I want to do with my time to make sure that I'm, I'm using and that, you know, my time on this blue rock and the, the opportunity that it can afford. Cause so many people get through life, you know, saying, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. I've always wanted to. Man, I hate hearing those conversations. I mean, I answer pretty gruffly sometimes when someone says, oh, I've always wanted to. Well, then why don't you? Yeah. Like, someday never comes, dude. Like, and I think that that, you know, is people that take the leap, so many of them that weren't sure if they were going to be able to do it and, you know, weren't sure if it was worth the money and all their Every person has literally been like, dude, halfway through the trip, if you sent me home tomorrow... I would think I got my money's worth. And that, that to me is the most rewarding part of it, that people see value in what we do and how we do it. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's so hard to like describe unless you've done it. And I really think that, you know, you and I getting the word out and getting more people to embrace international travel and especially international motorcycle travel is you know, what, what could be more rewarding for our fellow motorcyclists than to, to be checking boxes like that? No, that's it. That is, that is definitely it. Well, I want to hear about your first trip over there. Like, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but like, what, like, how has it changed? I mean, obviously it's changed because you're, you're sharing this trip with other people, but like, tell me about your first trip and what you were thinking about before you went, if you remember any of that. So a couple of friends of mine had recently died. Um, I was living a pretty hard, um, you know, I, I think I can be transparent. I'm, I'm eight years sober. Um, and, you know, I was living a different life back then. And um, a couple of friends of mine that were living pretty hard um, died in short order, um, in short succession of each other. And um, 
it kind of was a, a, a wake up call. And it was about the time that, um, you know, fentanyl was becoming mixed okay. into drugs in the U S and, you know, I had a little bit of a cocaine habit and, um, did a couple of bumps with a buddy on my porch one night and woke up on my bathroom floor, floor sound asleep, um, with my wife banging the head, banging the door back of the door into my head. And, um, you know, from that moment on, I was like, man, I, you know, I literally could have died partying last night and I never had any intention to, to do, you know, cocaine shouldn't make you go to sleep. <laughs> no. so clearly there was, that was stepped on with the wrong stuff. Um, and I was ready for it. You know, she never asked me to change anything about me or who I am. And, um, you know, just took me as I am, but I wanted to be a better man. And, um, I, uh, I mean, I quit everything, cold Turkey, tobacco, alcohol, cocaine, everything. And, um, I needed to do something different and the, the Himalayas were calling and I've been getting high in the mountains ever since. Um, that first trip, um, you know, I met booty and, uh, you know, he's, he's been instrumental in, in our endeavors over there. I mean, um, you know, the ultimate fixer, um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the bikes, the insurances, all the different things. I mean, I know I bring a lot to the table, um, from the American side, you know, bringing folks over there and the websites and the marketing and all of that stuff. Um, you know, but booty and I have a really great, you know, relationship and division of labor in terms of like, you know, he holds down the fort, making sure the bikes and stuff are there. And, and, you know, I bring the, bring the people and plan the routes and curate the, the different experiences that everyone goes through and we're constantly refining and so on. But that's been a, you know, that relationship with that really special guy has definitely been a, a big part of um, our ability to do this. Yeah. Well, but what did you take over there? Did you just like take what was on your back and just go over there? Or did you like, did you overpack the first time? Man, it's, it's kind of cloudy. Honestly, I just gotten sober. Yeah. Uh, I know I, have like proper like riding gear i had a an open face helmet and i i'd been living on my bike here in the u.s prior to that so um i think i kind of just took all the same stuff so it's i i see where you're going with the question but it's kind of a weird one because you know at that time i was literally just living roving on the dirt glide yeah. um you know the 2008 dyna with you know, that I crashed, that was, uh, had ammo cans and dirt bike tires on it, like knobbies. I mean, it was. So you were pretty uh, much set up for the trip at that point. You literally just went from one bike to another on one rock on a, to another. Yeah. I've been living life. And then, you know, in putting it in perspective, I, I've, I've got four overseas missions with the, with UN and NATO. So, you know, I'd lived out of a bag a bunch, you know, for the prior decade, um, and, you know, a real drug-infested, PSD-laden mofo goes over to the Himalayas and finds himself, I guess, is the best way to describe it. <laughs> and then comes um, back to share it with everybody else. Dude, it did so much for me. And then over the years, there's been so many little experiences. So there's a particular temple that we go into. It's a little off-the-beaten-track, small chamber. And no less than three different individuals, without unprompted, when they cross the threshold have literally like fallen to their knees and combusted into tears. And that happened to me. And to see now in all the trips, other people get the same 
there's something in the air. You know, I mean, it's a place where people have been, uh, you know, praying for 2000 years, three times a day, like chanting and so on. And it's like this, there's some like residual energy. And I, I don't know that we can see everything with our, with our, with our senses. Um, but you know, if you're attuned and open to hearing certain things or messages, like, uh, I think our bodies and brains can pick up on, on, on different things. There's a reason some of these places in high Himalayas are, are sacred. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not like particularly religious in one way or another, but I do know that some of the experiences and things that I've felt and people feel there and others have relayed to me happening in the exact same locations. Like I just had to find a way to share that with others, you know? And, uh, you know, at this point I've literally spent like years of my life roving those mountains and, and perfecting, you know, what it is that we do there. And that's, I don't want to be any kind of a salesman on this stuff. I don't think we need to be, but I think that that's the biggest value that people miss out on. It's like, I've heard, I've had folks say, well, I'll, I'll just go over there and buy a, buy a bike for $1,500 and do the same trip. And I'm like, the fuck you will. Like we've got a chase truck. We've got, you know, multiple riders, tailgaters that your if your bike breaks like my dude's gonna show up and hand you a running motorcycle so you can carry on your trip and not lose half a day over a flat tire yeah. or a busted frame or something and i think that 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 we've spent so much time exploring and finding all the hidden gems i mean the farmhouse is probably a great example like not that many tourists are going up to that place but it's mm. kind of earth right yeah it's amazing Every time I talk to Lichter about it, he's like, I wish I could just stay there for a week or weeks on end. I'm like, it's a good one. It really is a good one. You know, in that first year, we did it backwards. So we went to that place the like the first night. Uh, it was cool to do. You know, now I've done the trip both directions, which is rad. Uh, and it's definitely curated well. And I see that being a great place to end it. Uh, you know, it's just a really cool spot with an amazing view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I want to jump back, um, like to talking some more about things to pack. Okay, um, yeah, I, yeah, did, yeah. I, did, I did prep a little bit. I, I love our freeform style, but I did write down a few notes that I that I want to make sure that we mention for people and and kind of maybe I'll run through them all, and then we can talk about it so that we have people can get that bullet point list. Okay. Uh, so these are things that people often forget. So water shoes was one of them. Uh, making sure your pants are not made of recycled plastic bottles or nylon or plastic or something because they will. Uh, a tank bag. Um, I recommend the Biltwell magnetic ones. I mean, I I ride pretty rough and they never come off. Um, I think they're they're a great option. They're, they're smallest tank bag just to have like your daily incidentals with you. Uh, head uh, scarf, uh, both a woolen warm one and like a cotton combat style scarf because there's some pretty dusty areas and uh, having something to put over your nose and mouth to tie it up is uh, is definitely worthwhile, even if you're in a full face helmet. Uh, foot powder, first aid kit, bungee net. Um, this is an odd one that people don't think of, but um, a little notepad for yourself. And it's nice to have a couple extra ones. Uh, notepads, pens, and uh, pencils are, you know, in short supply for the children up in the mountains. And man, you should see a kid light up. You give them a, a, a couple of crayons or a pen and a pencil and a notepad. And they're pretty excited about that. I also tend to carry like hard candy because, um, you know, it doesn't go bad. And it's easy to have in a pocket. And um, we encounter, you know, children along the road. And 
um, just being a goodwill ambassador and, and giving them some notepads, pens, pencils, hard candy. I mean, and the, the smiles on their faces are, are kind of priceless. So that's a fun one. Wow. Earplugs. Um, we do share rooms. I mean, unless we do offer a private room if, if people want that. Um, but you know, most of it is, you know, father and son, a couple of buddies, like people end up rooming together. Um, so earplugs, if you have a, a snoring partner, um, are definitely helpful. Um, a pocket knife. Um, you can't really carry a knife openly in Nepal, uh, but you know, in, in your bag or on your person is fine. Um, always handy to have. And um, I think you know, I want to recommend a riding suit at this point, um, both for safety and comfort. Um, and you know, I used to never, you know, I, I really thought people looked like astronauts in riding suits, but I've got something in some muted colors now, and. Uh, I really think that a professional style, um, you know, adventure riding suit is is a worthwhile investment for people's comfort. Yeah, well, they offer a lot of comfort creatures. I mean, with the vents, uh, I did find out recently that not all of them are waterproof, as though one might assume. Uh, but yeah, the, the layers. So, what what kind did you get? You said you got a Denise. Yeah, and it's and it's a full waterproof two piece or is it a one piece how's that work? yeah it's like a uh so i won't do the like winter type riding gear there's some that are like four seasons this is like a three season suit i prefer to dress in layers so that's kind of another important uh point like you're going to get hot you're working on this motorcycle pumping up and down uh people leave in the morning they think they're going to freeze their balls off and you know two hours in they're stripping down because the sun's come out and they're you know, actually physically engaged in, in, in navigating terrain. Um, I think people get a lot hotter and if you dress in layers and have a bungee net on the bike, it's, it's pretty easy to keep yourself comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than getting overheated, get all wet and sweaty. And then when you stop, you're cold because you're everything you're wearing is wet with sweat. So I really think that dressing in layers is, is absolutely key. Um, I tend to wear not long johns, um, but like jogging pants or cotton kind of pajama pants under under my stuff. Uh, the thermals, you're going to overheat for sure. Uh, some of that stuff is almost too well-made nowadays, and you will cook your balls off. Yeah. You know, recently I got some that zipped down the side, so I can just drop my drawers without taking my boots off and just unzip them and take them off and stick them in my bag. <laughs> Those are pretty and, handy. Um, in terms of like, you know, tools or anything like that, it's just totally unnecessary. We have a mechanic traveling with us at all times and, you know, a full accoutrement of tools and spare parts in the chase truck. So there's no no need for worry there. Um, coming back to the sleeping bag, you know, chances are you're not going to use it. But if you're a little on the thinner side or someone that gets frigid or live in a warmer climate, um, it's a nice option to have. Um yeah. Emergency food is kind of a good option. Um, when I say that, I mean like some beef jerky or some granola bars or, or, or whatnot. You know, there, there's always unknown variables. Um, and, you know, the chase truck is well stocked with snacks, as you know, and we stop for tea pretty often. Um, but, you know, sometimes there's a washout or a landslide and, you know, we may be parked up for a couple hours and the chase truck can't get to where we're at. Um, so in your day bag or tank bag, um, you know, having some granola bars and beef jerky and, you know, maybe even some sharing quantities um, is, is nice to, to have for your fellow riders, too. So oh, I always yeah. try to. Stuff. 
Yeah, I feel like if you're going to pull it out, you got to have enough for everybody. <laughs> have you guys ever had like an incident where you didn't make it to that night stop where like a landslide just kept you from getting through? Uh, or you had to like Man, backtrack? I got, a funny story. Or... I, got a, I got a funny story actually about that. Um, so, you know, I, I really try to build things that there can be enough free time and you know, loose vibes. And like, it's a curated trip and we do have timings and a destination to get to, but you know, I try to build in enough time that if we want to take an extra time here and there, we can at a stop. Uh, but on this particular trip, there, there, you know, I deal with a lot of different personalities, and um, there was not not so much a heckler, but a guy that was like, "You need to chill out, bear." Like, man, you're always rushing us at these stops. I want to take it in, and I'm like, "Listen, man, like, I I feel you. We've been here an hour, but like." I know what's ahead of us and you don't, and I'm, I'm chill, but like, I don't want to be riding on six foot wide roads with 4,000 foot sheer drops in the dark. Yeah. And you know, it just, it was kind of, I'm not a mutiny, but like the dude, just every stop was kind of like, Hey, you need to relax, get off our back. Like we're, we're, we're having a good time. Chill out. And I was like, dude, we got like 10 proper hours of solid riding to get through and we need to keep moving. So sure enough, um, you know, there's a landslide, there's a couple other incidents, some bike breakage, and night falls. And now we've got two bikes with no headlights or three bikes with no headlights. <laughs> and and guys are guys are kind of pissed to be riding in the dark. It's dangerous, it's scary. And um, you know, just kept my wits about me and slowed everybody the fuck down and broke them into smaller groups got everybody stopped at a, at a point and led them into the camp three bikes at a time. Um, and then we got there and, and, and set someone kind of started to light me up that I was risking people's lives, riding on these sheer cliffs in the dark and blah, 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 blah. And hang on a second, man. You remember, you know, around three o'clock this afternoon when I was trying to get everybody to understand the sense of urgency, like, yep. I was like, okay, I'm just saying like, and you know what? For the rest of the trip, everybody, when I said it was time to get on the bikes, got on their fucking motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're believers at that point. <laughs> yeah, but you know that that's the, the, the funny thing is, like, even with a military background, like, I really try not to be, like, too drill sergeant style. Like, there are certain things that there's a lot of management and logistics that go into making sure everybody's safe and having a good time. And I got to have my wits about me for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I call my role the facilitator of fun. I'm not here to boss anybody around, bark orders, um, and, you know. And there's there's no reason no reason for folks to be having a pissing match on on, on these trips. There's always a weak link. Somebody's going to be the weakest rider. That's just, and they're going to have to learn from that and accept that. And then there's always going to be the strongest rider that might have to tone it down a notch because he's going to get somebody hurt, you know. And it's that teamwork environment. Um, I see my role as, as, you know, like I said, the facilitator of fun. I've got to convey that to the people riding with us early on that that's, that's our goal is to have fun in the mountains with motorcycles and get everybody there safely. And, you know, sure, there's some structure that needs to be involved for that. But I think among organized trips, ours are pretty free form compared to a lot of, of, of other outfits. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any experience with any other outfits, but I'll take your word for it. 
I feel like it's just free form enough. You know, when you've got a bunch of other individuals involved, uh, you know, some some proper planning, even like the trips I've done here recently where there's been bigger groups, I kind of convey the idea that it's all pretty free form. But there's there's a you know, there's a pretty good idea of what we're doing because of, you know, the amount of people involved. It just, you know, those things are important. Having a place to land is one of those big things. You know, one great thing about your trips is, like, not only the place we're landing that night, but the places we land throughout the day uh, and the times you are able to to soak it all up, you know. Because uh, it is difficult to do when you're navigating the roads. You know, it's hard to look over at the mountains the whole time when you're when you're dealing with traffic and you know potholes or you know whatever the road may have in front of you so cows cows yeah definitely cows yaks uh <laughs> yeah it's a uh, man so how many trips have you done so far now i mean you've done a lot i mean 60 70 100 200 500 oh, geez wow no it's not that many um you know, I've been going over there like three times a year since 2015 with an interruption for COVID. So, I mean, we're, we've taken hundreds of people through the experience at this point. Um, and then there's also my recon missions and my solo trips where, you know, for example, post COVID, you know, I went there a full two weeks prior to the first trip and did like a recon mission, found some new roads, some new routes, uh, went to every hotel and made sure they were back online, no matter what they told me on the phone or, or, you know, via email, uh, I still wanted to put eyes on it. And I'm glad I did because a few of them, we got there and, you know, the, there's no food in the kitchen. And the, the, during COVID the, all the furniture got stripped out of half the place and, uh, you know, not acceptable conditions to, to what it was, or it's under renovation. The one that really bothered me was one of my favorite stops. Um, the, uh, you know, the whole place was just kind of ransacked and what they considered an improvement was actually, you know, removing the, the Nepalese charm. Like, so the, the, the woman was like, well, no, we're improving the place. Come, let me show you. And a bunch of Ikea furniture in place of, and carpet in place of what was previously wooden floors and, you know, quaint hand carved furniture. And for her, her daughter lives in New York and she was like, see, we're, we're, we're westernizing. We're really improving. We're bringing things up to standard. And I was like, no, you ruined the fucking place. <laughs> yeah, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> and she could, and why I was, I didn't want to stay there. We, we've now canceled that stop. Like we, we moved to a, a, a more traditional hotel because they, they said what they considered improvement was really a, a step in the wrong direction for us. Yeah, um, I like that new road you found going up to Muktanaf. That, uh, that dirt road that's like kind of bypasses part of the dirt or the, the blacktop road. Isn't that correct? Where we yeah, like came yeah. over those hills and, Oh yeah, that was incredible. It was a little bit, little bit challenging. Uh, that was that was really beautiful. I think we saw like a giant herd of goats, or yeah, I think it was a big you herd know, of goats. If if a talented writer like you say says a little bit challenging, that makes that makes my heart warm because um, <laughs> I really do strive to put adventure in these trips, and that's that's a tough one that route because it's the one time on on a trip where. I offer two paths, right? Like I, I'll, I'll say, look, you can take the easy road and it's beautiful and the vistas are incredible and it's mostly tar and that's going to get you up to the temples. Um, or you can follow me. And then that's when I, 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 I break the team up 
And usually about 50% of people take the tougher road. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's for everybody. And that's, that's, that's was a real difficult choice for me because I want everybody to have the same experience. And I think creating that separation and division um, with the talent of riders, but it's gone. Okay. So far, everyone's been like, yeah, fuck. No, I'm not. If you say it's cha- more challenging than what I've already done, I'm not doing that. And they're happy uh, wow. to have the route. And then the guys that really want to test themselves. I mean, some of those like, you know, 90 degree turn eight foot wide road, sheer 4,000 foot drop and a 45 degree hairpin upturn. Like, I mean, you better know what you're fucking doing with your motorcycle. Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially the 180 degree switchbacks, you know, on <laughs> cam- non cambered turns or opposite camber where you're just sliding downhill. If you're not going up. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I like a good challenge. You know me, I like, uh, you know, I like to sweat and that's a good one. And the, the reward at the top of that one is so good. Um, I hope there's more people that take the bath with us, climb up the mountain that morning. Uh, there wasn't many takers on that last trip, was there? Man, that's a that's a hard one, and I can't um, endorse it enough. But I also I can't really. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So it always troubles me. <laughs> when people, yeah, you know, people come all that way and then don't you know get up with me at five thirty in the morning and go take a dip in a sacred pool. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. And some folks miss out on that and that's okay. Um, but I, I really think that that's, you know, part of the experience and man, we've got some really great video of that, you know, a cold plunge at, you know, high in the Himalayas at, you know, five in the morning is, is kind of like, there's few things that are going to invoke the same kind of emotion and endorphins. Yeah, was it? It was the last year, or the first year I went, where it was snowing on our way up. The you know the the light was just cracking, and you could just it almost looked like ashes at first, you know. And I'm like, oh my god, that is snow right now, and I am barefoot. That was amazing. We've had ice on the sacred pools, like had to like break through. It's uh, it's you know, and here we are talking about how warm it is there. So. Yeah, there's one, <laughs> you know, there's one night where we were we're up high high altitude and it's chilly and but I mean it, it, you know that's usually the day I'm like does everybody feel alive because man I feel alive you yeah. know and that's again just circling back to like if not now when you know like I always say you know forget your bucket list you know live now because like a bucket list to me is a, is a, is a long list of shit you're never gonna do and and if we don't embrace life while we're you know young and able um i don't want to wait till i'm in my 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 60s to go do some of this stuff and you know if people have that's fine too and we you know our oldest customer at this point 79 years old wow and our youngest 21 so it runs the gamut and everybody gets something out of it you know i think the 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 kid who was 21 had his mind blowing just as much as the guy that was 79 you know it's it's uh it's never too late, but it is all about taking that action. And this is the one point that I'm going to throw a sales pitch down. So, and not so much a sales pitch is, is some clarity on, on what we can do for people. Um, Dan, you know that I'm not in this for the money and it's, 
it's near and dear to my heart taking people through these experiences and you know a lot of love and energy time money have been put into building a true adventure company um but i want it to be accessible to the average joe right you know the blue collar guy the construction worker the welder um you know it shouldn't be an eight or ten thousand dollar trip like a lot of other companies charge so we're staying in in reasonable zones um when you consider you know food lodging motorcycle fuel mechanics everything is all inclusive for under five grand still um but i recognize that Five grand is still a chunk of cheddar when you've got a truck payment and a wife and kid and things going on. So we finally now offer financing. Um, I think it starts at four twenty-two a month for twelve months. Very little interest on it. I think it's like one hundred and seventy bucks interest or something. Um, don't quote me verbatim on it, but it, it's it's available on the website. You can finance the whole trip and pay it on a monthly basis, and you don't have to be totally paid before you go. You could finance the trip today and leave tomorrow and it's it's taken care of um you know it's it's all handled you know professionally very little risk for any party involved it's through shopify um so i I think that that's a real great opportunity to put this in the hands of more people because i know that coming up with the five grand uh to do this especially when there's other responsibilities can be a hard sell so um Finally, offering the financing, I think, is, is is a great option for people. Yeah, no, that's incredible. That really is, especially being able to just jump in there and then, you know, after you go on that trip, you'll be wanting to pay it off because you're going to go back and do it again or you're going to go someplace else. Uh, that is incredible. Right there at the on the website. Yeah, that and, you know, that's another uh, – probably a testament to the quality of our trips. We've had multiple people do the same trip twice. Oh yeah. And we've had, we've, we've got repeat customers doing different countries with us. So we should also mention that, um, you know, we do Mongolia and uh, several trips in India and Bhutan um, this spring. So, you know, we're now in four countries. Um, You know, you asked how many times I've done this. It's, it's hard to count now with all the, the time that I've spent over there, but, um, I really want to take an opportunity. I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but she probably will. I really got to acknowledge my wife. Um, I, I couldn't do what I do without her support. She handles so much of the administrative part of this stuff. Um, you know, people's visas and paperwork and all the questions and emails and stuff that she takes care of. But then further than that, um, her endorsement and understanding of how important this is to me as a human being and and offering this opportunity to other humans to have these experiences like uh, it's my calling and I, i'm so grateful to have a wife that supports me being out of the house you know two to three months a year consistently for you know we're coming up on on nine years we're working on our 10th year of doing this so it's uh it's kind of a big deal that my wife has still got my back on that no oh, it's awesome in 10 years i mean that's incredible we're gonna have to do some kind of big knockdown drag out party well, yeah, I mean, let's be let's be reasonable. I've been being an international travel guy for 10 years. Um, you know, we started tours in 2015. So that's, you know, like nine years, eight, eight, nine years of, of the of leading trips. Um, but it's it, a decade is kind of me doing this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that is the only reason I'm able to do what I do is because of my wife at home. 
Uh, and she's not listening to this because she ain't got time to listen to this. <laughs> but she knows it. I hope so. Uh, I try and remind her of it as much as I can. And, uh, you know, we're pretty lucky. Uh, if my wife was having to answer emails and deal with a bunch of other people, she would, I don't know if she'd be as cool, but I'm glad you got Lauren doing that. And I'm sure that's who yeah, everybody's uh, been communicating with, right? Leading up to this trip coming up is, is, uh, is her. Yeah. She, uh, she holds down all the administrative side of it and answers all the, the hard and easy questions and even the dumb ones. Um, cause there are a few. And, uh, you know, she, she really manages all the, the, the visas, the logistics, the payments, the paperwork, you know, and, um, you know, some guys, it doesn't seem intimidating and other, other people it's, you know, that haven't traveled a bunch, just the airfare, the visas, the paperwork, um, all of the insecurity surrounding that. She's a real champ about, you know, shepherding people through that. And she's got a lot of experience at it now too. So, um, but I'll tell you what, it was bringing her over there and taking her through, uh, the experience herself, uh, or most of the Nepal trip, um, and and a good portion of my India trips as well. We did the trip, and the first day she was in Kathmandu, which is a heavily polluted, overcrowded city with I think one stoplight in the whole town, and you know a couple million people. It's uh, it's it's tough to to see, you know, it's it's third world. You know, I don't think that's the politically correct term anymore. It's a developing nation, but. Um, so she's there the first night and, you know, she broke down in tears and she said, you leave me for a month at a time to come here. What is wrong with you? (laughs) And she got pretty upset. And then I took her through the experience and got her all the way to Muktanoff. And, uh, you know, at some point there was just this paradigm shift where she's like, I get it. And you, I know, I know, and I understand that you need to do this. And she calls it now Bears Motorcycle Ministry. Oh, nice! <laughs> you made a believer out of her. Yeah, there's there's times where it's a little tough, but um, I'm planning to open uh, a French trip in the Alps. Um, so she was educated in in France, and um, it we're trying to do something over there. Because wow. that would be a little less far away for her. So we have an apartment there where she went to school, and um, which sounds real hoity-toity, I know it, but it's 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 very economical, and the cost of living there is crazy cheap. And school was actually remarkably cheap for her there. So she just graduated in twenty two um, at the university there, um, and um, we held on to the apartment. So I started to toy with this idea, like, man, why don't we do, you know, Nepal, India. Mongolia, Bhutan, and throw in a European one um, in France and, you know, kind of maybe do like France, Italy, Switzerland, um, Alps tour. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on that now. It's, it's a lot of investment and a lot of energy, uh, but I think we're going to pull it off um, maybe the first one in, in late 24, um, if not spring 25. But I'm, I'm definitely working on, on figuring out um, doing a European tour. That sounds interesting. Is it like more more on road or off road and off road as well? Um, much more on road. Um, we're going to work in a few trails where we can. Um, this will be pillion friendly, um, which is something I've always wanted to do. Most of my trips are one person, one bike. You're not going to have no passenger on my Nepal trip. That's just a foregone conclusion. It's too arduous. Your passenger would not be happy, nor would you. Um, but what I really aspire to do with the with the Alps tour is. Um, that we could have, you know, 
husband and wife teams um, on bikes and make it maybe a little more foodie, um, have a little bit of glamping and some really nice hotel stays and some great food. And then um, a fun fact about me, I'm a, I mean, I'm a dual citizen. I have one French Canadian grandmother. Um, so I speak French very fluently. Um, and, you know, the, Fr- the French aren't, aren't exactly friendly to, to us sometimes, but if you speak their language, it really goes a long way. So I'm naturally a fixer um, in that part of the world because I, I speak their language. So I think that's uh, a, an interesting angle that's going to make that trip that much more fun. And I expect to do something, you know, really curated and kind of epic, but with a little more creature comforts and um, uh, Euro style to it. Um, so it's in the works and we'll see where it lands, but yeah, that's kind of my next uh, big project when it comes to adventure travel. And as much as I, I, I love the good food and, and, and the Alps, it, it's also something that, you know, my wife deserves basically in terms of like, if I end up doing Nepal, India, um, Doug Waskey's helping out with Mongolia. Now he's able to run routes there and uh, he's a competent guide as well. Very storied rider. So he's been working with, with us. Um, and if I did a tour in, in France, I think that, you know, Lauren could be a passenger on those trips and be part of it. Whereas Nepal and be a passenger when I'm leading those trips or ain't just ain't no way. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That'll be interesting to see how that develops. And, uh, yeah, I love food. So you, you got my attention. (laughs) Cool, man. So pretty much what we, we, we came down to is like, you know, you bring a good attitude, uh, some good gear and, you know, some of the creature comforts like, uh, foot powder and baby wipes and, uh, you know, a possible sleeping bag if you've got some thin skin and, uh, you're good to go. Right. And I think uh, Gore-Tex socks or waterproof socks are probably, uh, high on the hit list as well as a headlamp, um, earplugs, you know, uh, good riding gear, dress in layers. It's not rocket science. What People about a, what about a full face helmet? That was another question I had full face or, or, uh, open face. What, what Man, I've evolved. So, I've evolved my thinking so much on that particular subject. So, um, I used I used to wear a three quarter helmet, uh, open face exclusively. Did not, you know, seventies style helmet. Did not care for anything modern. And um, as time's gone on, I really, you know, so I wear a lane splitter now uh, from Biltwell. Yeah. Um, they've, they've supported me for years with helmets and, um, a, a tinted mirrored shield on that. That's not too dark. So even if the light is low or it's overcast, um, see just fine, but that mirrored shield, keeping the sun off you, um, definitely worthwhile. And in the dusty conditions, they've got that baby powder dust over there. And I mean, it, it's some of the finest powder dust I've ever seen. And it just, it gets in everything, including your mouth and your nose. And I think a full face helmet it just makes you a lot more comfortable. Um, I, I bring both personally because um, I keep gear in Nepal so I can, I can manage to have two helmets with me. There's some days where, you know, I know what the road conditions are going to be like. And I, and I prefer to have a, an open face or a half helmet. Um, but definitely if, if I had the choice to only have one, I would highly recommend a full face or uh, one of those modular flip up that does sort of both. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the modular is the next step. Best. Oh, they're so worlds. goofy, though, dude. Man, I just like. 
Uh, back to that astronaut shit like i just can't I, you know i'm gonna wear i'm gonna wear an open face or i'm gonna wear a full face i can't do this nodular stuff it's just it's too uh i'm too old school for it for some reason oh man well i feel like the next that's gonna be my next step is a full-on modular helmet i don't know when but right now i got the full face in the three-quarter and i rotate between the both depending on what the the days hold but that's what i've been telling people is man just wear something that's gonna be comfortable and more than likely, a full face is going to be comfortable for the whole trip. You know, you're going to be just keeps the sun off your face, keeps the wind down, dust down. You don't have to, you know, if you break your sunglasses, you still got at least a visor in front of you. So, and and then in terms of clothing, I should probably mention that. So, um, like me, I bring like two pairs of pants, um, you know, a, a proper pair of jeans, and. Um, like a, a more hiking style pant and then uh like a track suit or jogging pants um riding over pants uh, like my denise suit and then um when it comes to you know i'll do like five t-shirts eight pairs of socks 10 pairs of underwear um so i don't have to do laundry during the trip and i think people really tend to overpack i mean i see guys coming with two or three bags or you know, 84 liter hockey bags full to the brim with gear and they use a quarter of it. So the thing I can stress the most is worst case, if you're short something, we do, there are plenty of stops where you could buy an extra sweater or whatnot, but like, man, uh, five, six t-shirts, 10 pairs of socks, seven, eight pairs of underwear. And, um, you know, some jogging pants, two pairs of pants, some flannels, um, you know, a sweater of some kind and an over jacket again, dressing in layers is key. Um, but really that's kind of the, the meat and potatoes of it. I, I, I'm amazed at how many people see those white cap mountains and show up dressed to go to the North pole. And that ain't what we're doing. <laughs> well, and, and there is a stop halfway where we could do laundry, at least on the Nepal trip. Uh, now, not that the laundry always gets done on time and you might have to go, you know, knock on the door across the street, but it is a possibility. You really yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, there's a day off on the Nepal trip, essentially, in the middle. Uh, Ten days of riding, but there's a day off in the middle. And, um, man, so many people said to me, like, what's this, excuse my language, pussy bullshit, a day off? I don't need no day off. I am riding motorcycles, bear. And then uh, we get to the day off, and everyone's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm not on a motorcycle today. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not even not being on a motorcycle. It's like getting to go, like, do some stuff off the motorcycle and explore and, like, you know, check things out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. People need that that free time. That's another thing that's important to me in terms of curating the experience is, like, you know, living as a, as a communal motorcycle group for 10 days straight, it, it wears on certain personalities. And, you know, it's it's super important to, to give people enough breathing room to – to get out there and either be by themselves if they need to, or break off into smaller groups and go have some experiences. Like it, it's, it's curated in terms of, you know, your motorcycle and your meals and your lodging are all really sorted out and super vetted. Um, but there's still plenty of room to, to freeform, you know, certain things. And I think that that's something that um, people that don't like organized trips are concerned about. Um, but I mean, I built, you know, the, the, the trip that I would want to be on and that's, you know, really what it comes down to is that our trips are are you know we ride handlebar to handlebar with with our customer and it better be good because i'm on the damn thing too it's, we're not just farming people out and handing them off to contractors yeah 
Well, sweet, dude. I think, uh, you know, I think we've, we've given the people enough to go off of and enough to be excited and, you know, look into it even more as well as get ready for the, the trip that's coming up. Uh, what else, anything else you want to add? Well, I'm going to drop um, some more 2024 dates um, here, you know, probably in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, I got a few more logistical things to, to check up on, but I want to drop some more dates. And I want to reiterate that it, it's super important to me that this is available, kind of world-class travel that, you know, 40 years ago would have only been available to kings and aristocrats um, is in the hands of the working man. And our financing program really, I think, opens that up. Um, it's hard if you're a family man to, to spend five grand on yourself, but if it's broken up into payments, I think, um, you know, you can get the wife and kids behind it a little easier, um, and it's a little easier on the pocketbook. So I just want to make sure that everyone hears that loud and clear that we now offer financing and they can check it out on the website. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I'll be reiterating that on the show as we go along as well. Well, sweet mayor, I appreciate you taking time to jump on here with me, uh, what about what about what events do you got for the rest of you? You're going to be going out. You setting up selling knives anywhere anytime soon? Um, no, I think we're pretty hunkered down for the rest of the year. Um, not, uh, I'm staying a little closer to home because I do spend so much time away with the with the travel stuff. I'm uh, trying to stay a little closer to home, spend some more time with my old lady. Good. Well, perfect. I uh, well, then I look forward to seeing you at the end of this month. Yeah, it's coming up fast, isn't it? Um, thanks for the time, dude. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for the endorsement, the promotion, all the good stuff we do together. I'm looking forward to riding with you. Beautiful bear. Thank you. Peace, brother. All right, that concludes today's podcast. Um, you know, I want to talk more about, like, all t- types of packing, but we, you know, we just got on the fucking, you know, the train in Nepal, but... You know, I know it's interesting, and and we kind of talked about like you know when I kept asking him like, you know, what did you pack on the first trip? He's like, well, you know, fucking, I don't know the shit, you know, the shit that I normally pack, you know, that I was living with, and you know that's kind of how I roll, and and maybe that's the point I wanted to get across because everybody asked me what to prepare for, you know, and I I just prepare for that trip essentially like I do any trip. Um, so that's what I would do. If you, you know, and maybe you haven't been on any big trip and th- honestly, you're gonna, you're gonna overpack probably this first time, which is totally fine, especially on this trip. Cause they got a fucking chase truck that's hauling all the fucking gear around anyways. But you know, just prepare, just what, what do you need to be able to like accommodate going from hot to cold in the elements for 10 days in a row. Um, And I think that you'll figure it out. And if not, you're going to be fine. Like you could show up there with, I would, I would definitely come with extra socks, but you know, I would, if you showed up there with a good hour later, layer, good under layer, you know, you can make it 10 days. Might not be like the most unmiserable thing ever, but you're going to be fine no matter what. And we're going to have an amazing time. So don't fucking stress about it too much. Just, you know, be over prepared because we got some dudes that are going to haul your shit around anyways. So 
Go to DangerDanceTalkShop.com, MCShopTees.com, LowbrowCustoms.com, KnivesMadeByNick.com, MotorcycleSherpa.com, and I will see you and McKinney at Tufts Brewery in, or next weekend at Yellow Rose Camp.